Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. Good day to you, Salem Alliance. Uh, Thanks for joining us today as we are in week three of our series that we have called Emmanuel. Uh, the name Emmanuel is a Hebrew compound, compound word, uh, im, anu, el, im means with, anu means us, el is short for Elohim, uh, which means God, and literally if you take it from Hebrew, put it into English, it's with us God, uh, we say God with us. And we've been in this series talking about who God is, noting that he is transcendent, he is personal, he is the God who dwells with the humble, and last week Brian talked to us about with, about the God with us. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that talk, I'd encourage you to go back, uh, catch it on podcasts, or uh, just listen to it on live stream again. Uh, but, but Brian talks about our posture and that we don't want to be people who do life over God or life under God or for God, but to do life with God. That's the invitation that God gives to us. And, uh, and today, I want to talk to you about us. I want to talk to uh, you about our, our situation and how... Uh, how significant it is that Emmanuel, the God who is with us, the with us God, uh, meets some very core longings of our hearts, of our souls. And speaking of longings, this is the upcoming week in which kids are anticipating tearing paper off packages, hoping for that uh, that gift, that toy. Uh, they're full of longings as they think about Christmas morning. And um, and if as an adult, if you're listening, you can probably remember those days where that that excitement would build up in you so much so that you could hardly sleep on Christmas Eve. Uh, but as you mature and you grow, those longings change from unwrapping toys or games to some deeper longings of our hearts. And I want to talk to you about those deep longings of our heart that only Emmanuel, the with us God, can satisfy. And uh, today I'm going to be looking at John chapter 1, and then I'll wrap up by looking at John cha- I mean, sorry, Luke chapter 2. Um, so if you want to put a finger in John chapter 1, I'm going to get there uh, here early on in Luke chapter 2 a little bit later. But what I want to talk to you today about is how us, it, it, how, how we have these core longings that it's only Emmanuel who could satisfy. I'm going to identify three core longings and talk about how Jesus satisfies them and then take us to the manger and hopefully lead us into time we can just sort of revel in this amazing moment where God sends his son who would come as a baby and enter into our world. So let's really jump right in and start tearing the paper off the packages, so to speak, and talk about the core longings of our heart. And the first one that I see in John chapter 1 that I want to get to is this longing, the longing for truth, the longing to know the truth. And uh, let me just pose a question to you because, I mean, who is it? Who do you trust to tell you the truth? When, uh, when you're searching for the truth, I mean, who do you trust? Um, do, you, do you trust politicians to tell you the truth? Is it the media that you go to when you want to get the truth? Is it, uh, is it a professor that you go to? Is it your parents? Is it social media that you trust, uh, to know the truth? Is it science, technology? Is it a blog that you're, that you love to go to when you want to get, a, a, an interpretation of what's going on in our world? I mean, who do you trust to tell you the truth? And the reality is, is that 
that are sources of truth that when they disappoint us and they speak truth to us, sometimes we just don't really like the truth. Sort of quoting that, that one scene from a movie, you got Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, and Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. And there's times where we long for the truth and then we hear the truth, we, we, we want to, we'll change sources because we, we're not certain necessarily we, we like those, uh, those words that are spoken to us. I mean, imagine fifth grade teacher gathering kids and sort of a pep talk. Um, kids gather around. I, I just got some things I want to say to you. And here's what I say. To you. you know, life is hard. Life is so difficult. I mean, it's, it's sometimes significantly disappointing. Some of you kids, some of you kids are going to work in jobs that you just, you don't like. Uh, others of you are going to work in jobs that you tolerate at best. And by the way, some of you kids, you're going to make horrible financial decisions. You're going to be up to your eyeballs in credit card debt. Some of you are going to be just terrible at relationships. Your relationships are going to be broken. Some of you are going to get married and, uh, and it's going to end in divorce. Some of you are going to be successful, but some of you are not going to be successful. You're going to live in poverty. Some of you are going to end up in prison. Anyway, Merry Christmas. I just sort of wanted just to kind of tell you what life was going to be look, looking like, right? Imagine those kids going home and mom and dad then saying, hey, what did you learn at school today? And your fifth grader telling you, well, this is what the teacher said. He kind of goes through the list. And what would your response be? Your response would be like, you can't say that to my nine-year-old. You can't say that to my 10-year-old. And yet the reality is, is that is what our world looks like, right? I mean, there is this brokenness in our world. There are people working in jobs that they don't like and they're tolerating at best. There are people who have made horrible financial decisions and there's all kinds of brokenness in our relationships. And here's what I love about God. God loves us enough to tell us the truth. He loves us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. And what I see in John chapter one is that 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 God tells us the truth about two things, uh, two things specifically. The first thing he tells us the truth about is that we are incredibly broken and more sinful than we could ever imagine. John 1, uh, verses 10 through 12, um, says this. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus loves us enough, God loves us enough that he would tell us the truth about our sinfulness and our brokenness. Now, how many times in this season do you hear stories from the past of a manger scene put, into, put in a public place and people are like, get that thing out of here. Get that plastic baby Jesus, those plastic animals that are around him, the plastic Mary and Joseph. We don't want that in public. And all this contention and strife is built around a, a nativity scene or manger scene that gets put in public. And what the reality is, is that often people say this to the God who created them and place them on this planet in this time of history. They say to God in their heart, don't, you know, or to you, don't, don't place God in my heart. And the Bible calls this sin. God calls this, God, God says that, you know, when we say to the God who's, who's created us and placed us on this planet, we say to him, get out of here. What we are doing is we're rebelling and we're saying to God, we want nothing to do with this. What John is saying, you want nothing to do with him. We don't recognize him. We don't want to be with him. 
And friends, Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth that we are incredibly sinful and broken. Now, this sinfulness and, and brokenness takes on all kinds of shapes and sizes. But one of the things I love about this time of year, getting to New Year's, is that typically this is the time where we're showing pictures of the past events of the year. Um, you know, in days gone by, it'd be Time Magazine. Or if you go far enough back, you'd Life Magazine. And you could flip through the pictures and be reminded what happened in the previous year. And, um, and the same is for 2020. That's going to happen, I'm sure, in, the, in these next few weeks, that we're going to see reflections on what took place in 2020. And I, I just want, I've selected some pictures that really capture this truth that we are incredibly broken, more sinful, more broken than we could ever imagine, us personally as well as creation in our world. And what it looks like is it looks like people face to face, getting in each other's face and yelling at each other and, and screaming at each other. It looks like fires in Australia. It looks like fires in Oregon and, and, and the creation being destroyed. It looks like my hometown, Hong Kong, people protesting about what's happening there. It looks like looting in Chicago. It looks like Beirut, a bomb blowing up and people's homes being devastated. It looks like downtown Portland and riots that are taking place. It looks like the pandemic and hospitals of people fighting for their lives. It looks like Armenia where there's war in Armenia. It looks Looks like famine in Yemen as uh, terrible things happen there. It looks like racial injustice in our own country. It looks like floods in Asia, people losing their homes. It looks like war in Azerbaijan. It looks like war in Yemen. All kinds of destruction, all kinds of pain. And friends, what often ends up happening is we see all that and, and we, we see, yes, there's so much brokenness and sin out there in our world, but the reality is it's in here as well. You see, some of the darkest moments of this past year for you and for me have come when we have chosen sin. And Jesus loves us enough to tell us that we are definitely broken, incredibly sinful. And the shadow side of God's love, yes, is his anger, and he is angry at truth. He's angry at the fact of the truth of our sinfulness. And, um, and, and one author uh, picks this up quite well. Uh, one, one author says, uh, like a great artist, appalled at the way his paintings have been defaced by the very people who were supposed to have been looking after them, God's implacable rejection of evil is itself the determination to put things right to get rid of the corrupt attitudes and behaviors that have spoiled his world and his human creatures. It is because God loves the glorious world he has made and is utterly determined to put everything right that he is utterly opposed to everything which spoils or destroys the creation, especially the human creatures who are supposed to be the linchpin linchpin of his plan of how that creation should flourish. Friends, we long to know the truth, but often is when someone speaks the truth to us, we, we don't want to hear the truth, and yet God loves us enough to speak that truth to us. And he says to us, we are more broken and sinful than we could ever imagine. And the second thing he says to us is that we do not possess the power to save ourselves. We're incredibly broken, 
more sinful than we can imagine, and we can't save ourselves. And, and, and yet there's so many offers of false salvation out there. There's so many offers, uh, offers of false salvation. That, look, here's how you, can, how you can save yourself. And, and one of them is politics. I mean, we're, we, you know, our nation will be, will be saved if we have the right person in power. And frankly, I mean, I, I've lived in the U.S. now for a little, little more than 30 years of my life. I've lived some of my, my life overseas, but I've lived under Democratic presidents. I've lived under Republican presidents. And can I just say that you know, they're not that great. They just aren't that great. And I'm not anti, you know, politics. I think some good things can happen in politics. I'm not against good legislation. I think there's some good that could come through that legislation. But when we put our hopes in dreams and getting the right person into the office and, and, and think that'll save us, Friends, we really, it, it's not going to happen. And my fear is that so many of us have idolized politics that when those politicians fail us, we lose our faith. Yet there's so many people who have put their faith in this false salvation that politics will save us. And, and it won't. Another way that people try and save themselves is through reinventing themselves. See, this is the time of year when we just think about, you know, we think about new goals for our life, losing weight. You know, more self-care, being more mindful, stretching and, and, uh, and exercising and keto diets and, and, uh, you know, this, this digital minimalism, minimalism and, and, and we're just pursuing all these different ways to, to reinvent ourselves and, and to do better in life. And I'm not against goals. I think goals are good, but I'm living proof that they don't last at times. The fact of the matter is, friends, while healthy habits are great, what we desperately need is a new heart. That's what we need is a new heart. And along comes Jesus and friends, Jesus is trustworthy. He will speak the truth and he speaks the truth that we're more broken and sinful than we could ever imagine. And then he speaks the truth and the fact of the matter is that we can't save ourselves, which then leads us to the second longing that we need to tear the paper off of the package on and it leads into it so well. And it's simply this, that we all long for grace. We long to know the truth. We want someone we can trust and, 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 and the reality is that, and, and then we long for grace and friends, when we've messed up in life, we've made mistakes, we've failed in life, what we hope is that we will encounter people who are kind and gentle. You see, when you're driving down the highway and you break the speed limit and the police officer pulls you over and they're walking up to your side of the car, what are you hoping for? I know what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping to get away with a, a warning. I want grace, and I think you want it too. Uh, and, and friends, I, th I think like, you know, if you're a college student, maybe you're an RTI student, and that paper gets turned in late, and uh, you write an email to your professor. Why are you writing that email? You're writing that email to explain why it's late because you're hoping for grace. That's what you're hoping for. You, you see, when, when, when the boss calls you into to the office because you got these sales quotas and, and you're not meeting them and you know it and it calls you into the office to have a conversation about it, what you're hoping to encounter as you talk about why you didn't hit the metrics is you're hoping for grace. And when you post something that you deeply regret on social media, what are you longing for? You're longing for people to be gracious to you. When you put a dent in your mom and dad's car or their truck and you go to confess it to them, what are you longing for? You're longing for grace. It's the one word that, that just provides so much hope in life. 
And what the world has is so many religions and so many religious systems that actually get pretty close to diagnosing the problem in our world, but it's only Jesus who provides the solution, who says to us, you're more broken than you ever thought you would be, and you can't save yourself, but he actually says that you can be transformed by his love and forgiveness. But the religious systems of the world say things like this. It's, it, these are forms of reinvent yourself. See, if you just perform, try harder. Or they, they provide moralism as a solution to our problem. We just, we just got to behave better. Or sometimes it's hype. Sometimes it's even hedonism. But it's only Jesus who says, look, you're more broken than you realize. You can't save yourself. But let me transform your life by my love and my forgiveness. Friends, we all long for grace. And Jesus comes, and John tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel, he says these words in verses 16 through 17, for of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace. You see, Jesus comes and he gives us grace, not just grace, but grace upon grace. See, it's not just Grace, it's abundant grace. And it isn't just abundant grace, it's abounding grace. And it isn't just abounding grace, it's generous grace. And it isn't just generous grace, it's lavish grace. And it isn't just lavish grace, it's amazing grace. And friends, it isn't even just amazing grace, how sweet the sound, it's overflowing grace. It's the kind of grace that would cause Jesus to touch the untouchable leper. It's the kind of grace that would cause Jesus to notice the hungry crowds and feed them. It's the kind of grace that won't cancel, cancel out this disciple named Peter who, who just foolishly keeps making these failures one after another and, and it's grace that won't disqualify him. It's the kind of grace that will rescue a woman who's caught in adultery and, and, and save her life. It's the kind of grace that will cause Jesus to say on Calvary to a convicted criminal who's dying, today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus is still touching the untouchable. He's still noticing the hungry and feeding them. Jesus is still saying to people who have deep regrets and huge failures, he's saying that, that those don't disqualify you. And he's still rescuing the oppressed. And friends, he's still saying to the dying, today you will be with me in paradise. It's grace upon grace. And friends... Jesus doesn't just give us grace for our past sins. He doesn't just give us grace for our present sins. He gives us grace for our future sins, our future acts of brokenness and sinfulness. And it doesn't mean that there aren't earthly consequences for our sin, but what it does mean is that the eternal consequences have been paid for. You see, we have these core longings to know the truth. And when Jesus speaks the truth to us, if the truth is hard, we're more broken than we could ever imagine, more sinful than we might ever think. And when we make a mess of our life, we want grace, and Jesus doesn't just bring grace, he brings grace upon grace. In fact, so much so, so much grace that some of us are uncomfortable with it. We just get uncomfortable with it, and it actually prompts Paul to write in Romans chapter six, verse one, if grace abounds, should, should sin abound? We're, we're so uncomfortable, it's so much grace you can't even get your head around it. God loves you and likes you enough to speak the truth to you 
And then he pours out grace upon grace, which then leads to the ripping of the paper off the last package. The longing here is that, friends, we long to be understood. We long to be understood. Uh, let me read for us from John chapter 1. John 1. John begins his gospel with overtones of the book of Genesis. He begins to say, in the beginning. But John says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Friends, when John says in the beginning was the word, he's not talking about the Bible. He's not talking about the written word. He's talking about the logos. The logos, see, in the Roman and Greek mind, in, in the heart of their philosophy, was that there was this force and, and there was this benevolent before, force that was behind all of human history. This, this logos, this force, was the source of revelation and enlightenment. And the Greeks especially, they, they pursued the Logos and they pursued it for, for wisdom, for living. And what John does here in his gospel is he says to Greeks and Romans, which this would have left them scratching their heads, he says to them, friends, the Logos is not a force. The Logos is a person, a person who entered into our world and entered as a baby born in a manger. In fact, I think that, that many people in our day think like the Greeks. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard I've stood in a grocery line and I've, and I, I've heard people say, you know, man, you just gotta, you just gotta trust the universe. You just gotta, you just gotta go and just trust with the, trust the universe. Can I speak the truth to you for a moment? The universe is cold and indifferent and dark and the, 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 the universe doesn't give a rip about you. In fact, I mean, listen, man, the, the universe doesn't believe in you. The universe is just the universe. And I've been in coffee shops and I've heard people talk about, man, how significant it is to, to not, see, now you can, or you can see where the stars were, how they were aligned when you were, when you were born. And, and then there's all this talk about human personality theory and kind of where the stars were and how it shapes you. And, 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 and what this reveals, friends, is what it reveals is simply this is that there's something within us that longs to connect with the divine. And our hope is that force out there is a benevolent force. People are still hoping that there's something good, there's some divine connection out there that is looking after them and will bless them. And friends, can I tell you this Christmas 2020 that this force is not a force, not a benevolent force. It's a person and his name is Jesus. And Jesus loves you enough to speak the truth to you. And even into the mess of our life, he pours out grace upon grace. You can't even get your head around how kind he is. And into our longing of wanting to be understood, this is what Jesus does. He comes and takes on flesh so that he can understand what it's like to be human. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but you know, if you're God, and you want people to know who you are, you're going to reveal yourself to them, how are you going to do it? Because I'll tell you what I would do. 
I'd, I'd hang like a surround system on the moon, like a kajillion watts, and I'd turn the volume out loud and say, I'm here, I'm God. And I'd shake the world with the loudness of my voice. Or I'd break into the major media news outlets, or I'd take over the internet, and I'd let everybody know that I was here and that I was God, and you should know me, and you should bow to me. That, I mean, that's kind of probably how we would do it. But what does God do? God sends his son who lays aside all his divine privileges and he's born in a manger and he becomes human and he grows up 30 years in obscurity. No one knows he's around. And then he's working a job, but he's struggling and sweating at. He's got family frustrations. He's, he's struggling. He, he knows what it's like to be probably sick. He knows what it's like to be weary and tired. And he does all of this so that you and I, so that we could have a God who literally understands us. One, one author uh, puts it this way. Let me just read this quote for us. The author says, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. God had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. Why does God do this? He does it so that he can understand you, so he can relate to you, which is why the writer of Hebrews would say that he can sympathize with our weakness. And because of that, he becomes our great high priest. He knows what it's like to go through the pain that you've gone through or are going through. He knows what it's like to be disappointed. He knows what it's like to be insulted. He knows what it's like to have a good day and he knows what it's like to have a bad day because he became like us. And so he understands us. He understands you. And he satisfies the deep longing that we have in our hearts for truth, for grace, and to be understood. And then John goes on to say in verse 18 of his gospel, he says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Not only does God understand you, and know you, he's made it possible for you to understand and know him. He's Emmanuel. He is God. And he is with us. And he satisfies the most core longings of our souls. He speaks truth. He loves with grace. He identifies with us so that we might identify with him. Emmanuel, 
our God has come. And perhaps in this Christmas season, you've never heard that there is a God who is like this, who delivers the hard truth, but then loves and then sympathizes. Or maybe this is someone you have given your life to many years ago, and maybe it's entering 2021 simply by saying, I want a deeper knowledge of him. I want a deeper experience of this God. This God who would send his son, who would lay aside all the privileges of the glory of heaven and come as a vulnerable child. And as Luke records, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged. She was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told him. Savior's come. God has come, speaking truth, offering grace, understanding us so that we might understand and know him. So Lord, at this Christmas in 2020, and this year, we come to you and we say thank you. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for going to the lengths that you have gone to be our Emmanuel, to be God with us. May we continue, O oh Lord God, to know what it's like to call you God, to know what it's like to do life with you and to truly know ourselves so that we might know you. All glory and honor and praise be to your name. 
for coming and for rescuing us. We pray this now in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.